Hello and welcome to the Talking Outsourcing Podcast. My name is Mark Kobayashi-Hillary. In this podcast, I'm talking with Clive Harris from IBM, and we were in London when we had a conversation this week um, about innovation. Clive is the Chief Innovation Officer at IBM, and he's a, a distinguished engineer in IBM Global Services. We talked a little bit about outsourcing and innovation and where this crosses over, particularly within IBM's business model. Okay, so you mentioned um, about the Business Week survey recently, and, and um, Business Week had recognized IBM as, as one of the, I think it was number six, was it? So certainly within the top 10 innovative companies in the world. Um, you know, what, what, are the, what are the kind of factors that they're recognizing IBM for? Yes, I mean, as you say, we, we were in the top, we've been in the top 10 for a number of years now, six this year, which is an increase for us, which, which is nice. Um, they used a structured approach to assessing which companies appeared in that top 10. It was a combination of um, going out to the, the industries and, and clients and consumers and asking their impressions, but also looking at business results and also looking at the ways in which different organizations are actually operating. So for IBM, for example, we scored strongly on business model innovation as well as sort of delivery of innovation when it comes down to thought leadership. So we scored quite broadly, which I think helped bring our score up. Various things we've done over recent years, I think, um, figured strongly. Things that perhaps may not always be apparent. So, for example, um, no business week have liked the way in which we've dealt with patents, uh, and in particular open source. So, as you probably know, IBM have been a strong uh, supporter of the open source movement in Linux in, in the early days. Mm. Uh, it was a big investment all IBM back up in the very early days. It's worked well for us. But, for example, um, donating 500 open source patents to the open source community we thought was a sensible thing to do to build that ecosystem. And I know that was one of the things that Business Week um, provided. So it's a range of different things. It's not just about technology, although that plays a part. It's not just about our solutions, but it's a whole range of ways in which we're sort of, if you like, driving an ecosystem. We're operating business models in a position to commercial innovation, all kinds of things. Okay. And, and I suppose when, when we're talking about the outsourcing marketplace, a, a company will come to you with a, a particular business problem. So it might be um, uh, an insurance company, for example, and they need to, to improve the, process, the claims process, for example. So there's a, a set of discrete business processes. How, how do you find, um, where does innovation fit into that mix? Is, is it the clients saying, you know, we need to improve what we're doing so we can offer something better to our clients? Or, or, or do you take on a basic service and then find that you can improve that? Yes. I guess it's a combination of things. So, for example, the initial solution that we may design for a customer and their requirements, we would hope to be innovative, um, but equally recognize that things don't stay still. So mm. if it's an outsourcing contract, you know, sometimes for seven, ten years or whatever, we recognize that things move and change. So... We may have a set of transformation activities, a set of things that we'll do to transform and change the processes and the infrastructure and everything else. But two or three years down the line, those things may have changed. So I guess one of the things we want to achieve with innovation is the flexibility to keep, you know, to keep up to date, keep changing with those customer requirements. Mm. Um, and that, that, you know, the, the ideas for those changes, those incremental or, or you know, major step innovations, those ideas may come from IBM thought leadership or very often they also come from the client because what we have seen in many clients
clients have the, the right ideas, they have the smart ideas, but they may not actually know how to deliver them. So mm. they may come to us as a supplier and say, I deliver on those ideas. Okay, so how, how do you sort of write a, a contract around that then? If, if you, you know, if, if you're saying that, um, because quite often there'll be very strict service level agreements that are written into contracts, and, and how do you write something to allow it to, to sort of constantly change? Yes, it's a good question because it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And if you, if you go about writing a contract in the wrong way, you can end up with the wrong behavior. So, um, you know, those things that are going to happen in two or three years' time, we don't know what they are. So mm. you can't put those as deliverables because you want the creativity to define those as you go through. So what's in a contract is often more about the process and the way in which we're going to discover those things together. It can often be about the team that we're putting in place. It can be about the process. It can be about numbers of ideas mm. uh, that we're going to take forward. Although even numbers of ideas you've got to be careful with because you could have lots of poor ideas, if you like, uh, so um, what we do find is that there is some stuff in the contract, uh, and we spend a fair bit of time with the client refining that and getting that right, but what we do find is when we've got it right you know, with clients six months, 12 months down the line, actually, you sort of put the contract to one side mm. because if the behaviour's right, you've got the right kind of communication, the right kind of relationship, and having those dialogues, so you need to have it there. Every client would expect that. But actually, um, you know, normal service levels, you know, that's understood. But this is an area where you have to be flexible. Yeah, yeah. So you sort of you, you have to have something written down to begin with, correct? Because well, you've also got to be able to price the contract based on something. Uh, Absolutely correct. Yeah. So so the baseline will include certainly um, you know clients where I've worked, uh, numbers of people, the amount of time we're going to spend on mm. it, perhaps funding seed funding to build prototypes and those kind of things. Mm. But it probably doesn't make if, if you know what the things you're going to deliver, you probably put those into the base contract anyway. Yeah. So the innovation is about doing the other things that we don't yet know, you know, what they need to be. So you've got to have flexibility to allow that. Okay. And how how um I suppose then within IBM, uh, because you have the, the, the sourcing group and it, it, is innovation uh, a very separate group or do you sort of cut across everything that IBM does then? Well there are tons and tons of people in IBM who have innovation roles, mm. um, running all kinds of different programs of all kinds of different levels. You know, we've got internal innovation within our product development. We've got innovation within our processes. Um, certain elements of what we do with innovation are client-facing. So a good example of that would be research. Now, those guys can't sit in a darkened room and do it on their own. They need to work with customers to make sure it's relevant and, and technology and the solutions are right for customers. So some of it is very much customer-facing. My specific job, if you like, is to tie all of that stuff together. So there are hundreds, if not thousands of people. I mean, in IBM, almost every employee, if not every employee, will have a personal objective around innovation because it's one of our three values as employees. So, so everybody is being you know, asked and encouraged and driven to provide innovation in their own separate way. Mm. My particular way is with clients with that collaborative model, if you like. But the good news is for me, if I face the clients, you know, understand what they want, can turn around and face into IBM and find all of these teams that are doing that innovation, and then I can just you know, bring them to bear in the company. Yeah, yeah. So, so even uh, everybody at whatever level they are in the company is basically told, whatever you're doing today, try and make it better by next year. Absolutely, absolutely. It is absolutely core to everything we do. And uh, I think if you were to talk to any IBM, you would understand that. But it's different. You know, it could be delivery related. It could be culture-related, all kinds of different things uh, in terms of how that's actually driven. Um, but it is sort of 
almost in our bloodstream. Yeah. And so we mentioned a little bit about the, the global nature of the organization as well. And I mean, do you see that that kind of um, global integration and, and being able to tap into to resource everywhere, is that one of the sort of absolute key differentiators when you're, when you're talking to clients then? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I guess what I've just said is we have a culture of innovation. And yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why Business Week you know, picked us out. You know, Google... Apple and others, I think the man in the street would associate that culture of innovation with those companies. That's not necessarily within IBM. But when you do look and you understand, I think we do have that culture of innovation. Um, one of the things that fuels that and, and supports it and encourages it and enables it is the collaboration. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, not just tools, not just technology, but communities. So, you know, at the click of a button in IBM, I can form a community, I can join a community, I can find out what communities are out there. Mm. So the collaboration, whether it's myself here with colleagues in the UK, whether it's colleagues in China, colleagues in India, colleagues spread across the world, um, I think we pride ourselves in being able to collaborate well. Yeah. You, you may have heard of some of the stuff we've done with Tech and Life and some of the, the more advanced reading internet type collaboration tools, yeah. extending beyond telephone calls, extending beyond online sort of, uh, Facebook type into video conferencing and 3D internet. Yeah, well, I've seen, I mean, the more recent versions of um, the Lotus product set uh, sort of effectively mirrors a lot of the um, things like uh, bookmarking on the internet, um, creating social, social networks. Yes. Uh, so you can sort of take some of those tools from the public internet and use them in the corporate environment as well. Absolutely. We don't yeah. restrict employees from using these things, you know, that we have guidelines for employees yeah. in terms of what, what's right for employees, but we don't restrict employees from using these kind of things. We encourage it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that sort of encourage. <coughs> there's an encouragement to collaborate and communicate Absolutely. within the company. Yeah, yeah. so in, individuals encouraged to join community. You're not told you have to. Mm. But when I say communities, this is not departments. This is communities, interests, communities of practice. So I, I used to work in the Linux space, for example. Um, I was part of a 7,000 strong community of people that were passionate about that topic and could collaborate across the world. Mm. Um, so those communities are voluntary, if you like, but, but all of that glues people together, the technology. Mm. And it, it is a cultural thing as well. So, for example, I mentioned research. In research, we have a whole team working on something called social network analysis, mm. the sort of the people side, the cultural side of how people communicate above and beyond the hierarchical structure of an organization. And we don't just do that internally, but we do Thanks for downloading the Talking Outsourcing podcast. For more information about me and my writing, go to www.markhillary.com. And for my blog in Computing Magazine, go to computing.co.uk. Uh, thanks for downloading this. I'm apologizing for the um, quiet and somewhat poor sound quality in some parts of the interview, particularly towards the end. Um, I guess I'm going to be using a different microphone for future podcasts. Anyway, thanks once again. I hope it was useful, even if it was quiet in some parts. Thanks for listening.